Good morning, everyone. How's it going? Good to see you all. Um, thanks for being here this morning. It's great to be together again and worship. Um, as Chris has said, we're obviously going to be, um, uh, this is our last Sunday morning here. Um, uh, so thankful to God for what he's done uh, over the last number of months since we've been here, since when, last September. <clears throat> it's been a great place to gather. Um, looking around the room, we've also welcomed some people into the family since we've been here. Uh, people's lives and stories have been grafted in to our church family here. This will be some of your first engagement with the church in this, in this space. And so we, uh, we're really thankful to God for that. Um, I'm thankful for everyone who's helped make it happen. Um, I guess at the same point, uh, by way of introduction into where we're going this morning, I also feel like this is a bit of a crossing over moment for us. Um, we have been talking a lot over the last four or five years of our church's existence of following the cloud and using the metaphor, if you like, the biblical metaphor of the wilderness in the Old Testament and how we, f- we followed the cloud like they did in their tents. You know, when the cloud moved, they moved. And it feels like the cloud is moving again. Um, but there does come a point, doesn't where they had to cross over the Jordan and then they were going to settle in a more sort of semi-permanent state and we are moving forward to a a more permanent home eventually Um, and we're getting closer to it Um, and it feels like we're following the cloud again but it feels like I think personally I'm, I'm, I feel quite expectant about next weekend as well Nua, and um, I feel like after the last number of years this does feel like a bit of a crossing over moment I think God does want to change the season a bit um, for us and uh, and we're, <clears throat> we're we're going to move in to possess part of the land that I think the Lord has been leading us to inherit inherit um, But with that will come new battles as I pray and think about going forward. I see us moving forward with our sleeves rolled up. I think um, there's work to be done, both in prayer and in the spirit. I think um, the the children of Israel, when they moved across the Jordan, it wasn't the sort of like sit and put their feet up, wasn't it? That was in some ways when the battles really started. And they had to to be prepared to fight and to war. and And we need to think about that through Jesus' lens, obviously, what that means for us in order to see the kingdom come and the territory and the culture of the kingdom established. And so I feel like there's work for us to do in the days ahead. But I think the Lord is allowing us to, to get over, um, to, to get over into that land and, and then to roll our sleeves up like the children of Israel had to and do the war that was needed in order to see the strongholds come down so that the kingdom could really come. Um, and I guess um, part of the reason I'm also saying that this morning is because it does transition quite well into what we're talking about with the Holy Spirit. Because in the kingdom what, and in the Bible, I think what we learn is with every, you go back one there, please. Um, yeah, with every new assignment or every new alignment that happens in the kingdom, there, 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 there is a new anointing that is required for that. Okay? With every new assignment and with every new alignment, when God brings you in, there's a new anointing that is needed. And it's a biblical principle that goes right from the Old Testament, right through the New Testament. We need a touch and an empowerment from the living God to help us with the new assignments and new seasons he's bringing us into in our lives. And, uh, and so when it comes to the, this con- the, the context this morning of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, I think that's particularly relevant for us as we move on and as we talk about the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the on going infilling of the Holy Spirit and the whole question around do we need to be constantly filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, all of those kind of questions. And so we're going to try and discover more of what that means to be filled with the Spirit, kind of by 
way of recap, but also just to take us forward this morning. Let's remember that to be filled with the Spirit um, and arguably to be ongoingly filled with the Spirit is, is very clear throughout the Scriptures, okay? It, uh, here's just a couple of quick, quick Scriptures that have probably been referenced over the last number of weeks, but just to set us up. <clears throat> um, this was Jesus when he was talking about going. Um, he said this to the disciples, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So this was in reference to the Holy Spirit, right? Just about this time of the year, which we remember in between Ascension, and this is Ascension Sunday, by the way. So we think about this at this particular time. We think about how Jesus ascended into heaven <clears throat> uh, 10 days before Pentecost in order that he would... Um, uh, in order that the Holy Spirit would come and endure us apart from on high. This was the words of uh, John the Baptist. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So Jesus was going to come and do something over and above what John the Baptist was doing, okay? He was going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. If we go on to Acts chapter 1 then, again, very similar to the Luke passage, funny enough, because Luke wrote both of them. It says this, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The word here is baptizio, which is like to be immersed in, right? Just in the same way you're immersed in water, if you like, you're immersed in the Holy Spirit. You're not just, the Holy Spirit's not just in you, you're in him, okay? Okay? Uh, baptized into the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and, then, and then this one, John chapter 7, uh, which Jesus prophesied about the type of life he wanted us to live. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink forever. Believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not been glorified. So Jesus is prophesying of the kind of life that he wants us to have, a life filled with the Spirit, bubbling up from inside us. And uh, he was speaking of the Spirit when he said these words, who had not yet been poured out. And then finally, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 <clears throat> Do not be drunk with wine, Paul says to the church, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So these are all examples of how the Bible speaks very clearly about the, the need and the desire and the longing of God to fill us with his own Spirit, to be baptized and immersed in the person of the Holy Spirit. So hopefully there's no argument with that, right? That's very clear, I think, through Scripture. And we concentrated on teaching into that a little bit last week. Um, but there's still an element of confusion that I think exists around this topic and has done for many years in the church. And questions arise like, are we filled with the Holy Spirit at salvation? Do we need to be filled again? Is there a second experience that every Christian is supposed to have? All of these kind of questions persist. And I always want to lean into that a little bit this morning and then hopefully um, not take too long to do it so we can pray for people. N let me try and clear up why I think that's happened, okay? Over the years, people have read the book of Acts, okay? And uh, they've looked at what the Bible speaks about in terms of what the early church looked like, what life in the Spirit looks like. And they see a church literally on fire, 
right? They weren't perfect, but they see a church on fire. They see a church living in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. They see signs and wonders. They see radical generosity. They see people selling their homes that are moved by the love and the power of God and laying the finances down at the feet of the apostles. They see people embodying generosity and hospitality in radical, radical ways. People carrying the very fruit of Jesus so clearly that they were named Christians because they looked like the one who is Christ. And they see a church that's growing, that's multiplying, that's exponentially moving through the world. And throughout church history, people have looked at that and have gone, well, that's not really our reality, right? And then they've found this desire within them to long for that reality, which I think is a Holy Spirit desire. And and they've sought God because of that for a greater level of encounter. And they've held that hunger up before God. And they've held the Bible, if you like, before God. And they say, God, if this is supposed to be our reality, it's not. Would you come and move on us? Would you come and touch us again? Let us be like this. If this is the kind of normal, if this is supposed to be normal, then we want this to be our normal. So God, and so when, when you do that before God, guess what? God responds, because when we lift our hunger up before God, it works for you. The labor of an appetite, the Bible says in Proverbs, works for him. And so what has happened is throughout church history, people have had a genuine experience of God again after salvation because they have longed to see God move and they've been prepared to die again and they've been prepared to be crucified with Christ again in order that they might experience something of the living power of God. They were living in an age of dead religion and of dead orthodoxy and so they wanted to see the church on, on fire and so God, and God needed to move in those times um, because it was dark. And so what happened is that throughout the ages, you have people who then experienced the Lord again. And so people like Charles Finney and other revivalists, they started to talk about two-stage experiences in the Lord, another level of encounter. And so an emphasis started to come in the church of what we call, and they call, or people call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they started to talk about it as a sort of secondary experience from that that happens to you at salvation. And that emphasis increased throughout the 19th and 20th century with the different revivals that came, the Welsh revival, the revivals in America. Even within Methodism, they started to talk about John Wesley, about uh, perfectionism coming into the fullness of Christ. This was all things that were going on at that particular time as God moved across the earth. And it's no surprise then that people experienced the Holy Spirit in new ways because there was a hunger and a desire to see God break in on history, to see him do something remarkable in their day. And that all built towards the start of the 20th century when God really moved in power in the back streets of Los Angeles, in this little hut here in Azusa Street. And uh, <clears throat> I haven't time to get into it because I, I, I geek out in these kind of revival stories. But God, God moved in this room in remarkable ways. The Holy Spirit for three years, basically night and day, just, just moved in this room. This, this is one of my favorite, favorite ever quotes about it from Frank, Frank Bartleman. He says, God's presence became more and more wonderful. In that old building with its low rafters and bare floors, God took strong men and women to pieces. 
and he put them back together again for his glory. It was a tremendous overhauling process. Pride, self-assertion, self-importance, and self-esteem could not survive there. Right? Incredible, incredible moments in history when God moved in uh, to rooms and people's lives and communities and gatherings. And I guess Pentecostalism was birthed at that particular time. And um, in just over 100 years, so we're 600 million Pentecostal people in the world. They reckon there'll be 1 billion by 2050. That is a remarkable, exponential rise. Like that is, there's no movements really that move as quick as that. 1 billion people in 100 years or 150 years, right? So there's obviously something of God in that, okay? And what I want to say to you today is, contrary to maybe what some of us have thought or maybe some of us have been taught, the ongoing outpourings of the Spirit, like ongoing Pentecost, are very, very biblical. So we read about that in Acts chapter 2, about Pentecost, which we're going to celebrate together next week. But we also read of subsequent Pentecost when God poured His Spirit out. In Acts chapter 4, God poured His Spirit out again. In Acts chapter 8, God poured His Spirit in over, in, over the Samaritans. He poured His Spirit out over that city. In Acts chapter 10, in Cornelius' house, the Gentile Pentecost, God poured His Spirit out again. In Acts chapter 13, in the church, in Antioch, God poured His Spirit out. In Acts chapter 19, which we're going to read in a minute, God poured His Spirit out. And so there are moments, there definitely are moments throughout church history and throughout our lives where God moves a second time and a third time and a fourth time because that's what God does. God, God moves. He's not, he's not static. And so I personally, and I think I'm speaking on behalf of the leadership when I say this, I personally do think there is something about an ongoing experience of the Holy Spirit and second and third and fourth revelations and connections with the Holy Spirit. And while all of this can happen at salvation, because as we taught into, I'm not exactly all sure what Phil said last week, but I'm sure it was all right. <laughs> um, I, I'm good. Um, like, while we do believe like wholeheartedly, that in the ID world, we're saved and baptized and filled with the Spirit and self, at salvation, that there's nothing wrong. In fact, we should desire to be filled with the Spirit again. So, so hope, hopefully you're picking up my thread of thoughts here. There, there is very much, I think, genuine secondary experiences. Now, there have been problems with that teaching, and here's what some of them are really quickly. First and foremost, wherever the Spirit is, there's also the flesh, because we're human beings. Right? And so there has been excesses of people, they were in the Bible as well, just read Corinthians, who have been caught up in the Spirit and their flesh has got involved and that has got weird at times, right? And um, we're, we're, we're open enough to some things that are outside the box, of course, but some of these things have been abused. So that, that is, that's one thing that hasn't been good. The second thing that comes with talk about this, the, the, a baptism in the Spirit that's secondary is a lot of teaching over the years has said that unless you speak in tongues, then you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the only sign or the exclusive sign that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we don't believe that. We do believe in tongues. We think it's a great gift that the Holy Spirit gives, but we don't believe it's the 
only sign that you're filled with the Spirit. And anybody that suggests that you're not filled with the Spirit because you don't do that, I don't think is, is really necessarily hearing God particularly properly and well. And the second, the third thing I want to say is what happens when people are filled with the Spirit and God really moves in a, in a dramatic way in their life, in a, in a secondary way, what they do is they build their own doctrine around that experience, and then they kind of project that in everybody else, and then say, because we experience it this way, then you should experience this way, because that's the truth. And then what happens is you get this kind of two-tier sort of elitist kind of Christianity that comes in, where there's these people that are filled with the Spirit and do these kind of things, and then there's these other kind of Christians that aren't really just as spiritual as us, right? And that, that's really wrong as well. And so those are a number of ways that I think when we talk about the ongoing f- filling of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that there has been erroneous kind of teaching that has been connected to that and things that have came. And saying all that, right, all those wrong applications, right, the way to correct bad teaching is not more bad teaching, right? And I think that's what's happened through the church. So where there's been excess and there's been error, then we swing the pendulum and we go to the other side. And so we have denominations and churches that then have seen some of the excess and abuse of the, the moving of the Holy Spirit, and they have swung the other way, and they have come up with this really nice, neat, convenient doctrine that that was just for the early church, and that shouldn't really happen now, because God doesn't really work like that anymore, and we'll just box God into the way we want, and he'll perform to the theology that we kind of create. And, um, and that was the backlash to some of what we see. And so we reach this divisive place in the church where we have one side of the church, caricature in here a bit, but you see where I'm going, where one, one side that argues for a focus on the sanctification of the Spirit and the fullness of the Spirit only comes through the fruit of the Spirit. And then we've got these other kind of wing of the church that believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And so generally what you find, those guys who really want to, the churches and, and, and the streams of the church that, that want to go down the sort of route of... Um, um, we're we'll, we'll fo- focused on spiritual formation and the fruit of the Spirit and the sanctification of the Spirit and the development of character. That's all wonderful. That's all supposed to be taught, and we teach that here. But if they only stay there, it's get lots of nice people, but there's no power. There's no salvation often. There's no breakthrough. Um, and, 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 and there's no real openness to the charisma of the Spirit. And then on the other side of the church, you've got people, it's all about like the gifts of the Spirit and prophecy and swinging from the chandeliers sort of thing in the Spirit. And, and it's, it's maybe exciting and initially like, wow, but there's no substance and there's no character. And all the time in this, what we're trying to say is the Holy Spirit is grieved because we're lopsided. The fruit of the Spirit, but no gifts of the Spirit. All the gifts of the Spirit, but no fruit of the Spirit. And what we're trying to say is we want the fullness of the Holy Spirit and all of that, and we're being changed and transformed into the likeness of Jesus, but we're walking in the full power and demonstration of the Spirit, and we're being endued with His power from on high to do the work that He's called us. And so I guess the reality is we could stand here, I could stand here, we could argue all day long theologically about when and how you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, but the point is not so much to get that necessarily theologically all squared. The point is, are you? Are you filled with the Spirit, and do you want to be? And and, and when was the last time that you opened your heart and your life up to be filled with the Spirit? Do, do, Do you want to be? Can you be filled with the Spirit at salvation? Yes, of course you can. Of course you can. But do you often understand the fullness of the Holy Spirit at salvation? Mostly no. So can you have a 
dramatic, not necessarily even dramatic, can you have an encounter of the Spirit after salvation? Yes, of course. And the reality is it's not limited to a second one. <laughs> it's an everyday third, fourth, fifth. It's everyday walking in the fullness of the Spirit. Spurgeon says that both salvation and the filling of the Spirit, I like this, are identical in the purposes of God, but there's often a difference in the experience. And this happened in the Bible. Let me get to this here in Acts chapter 19. Now, just, just watch this for seven verses in Acts 19. When Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples, right? So they're disciples. So that, that sounds like, if we want to use our language, they're saved, right? And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, I love, this is, this is kind of funny, not funny, but no, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then, what did you receive? And they said, John's baptism. And they replied, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Sorry, Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all. Had these people been moved with, by the Spirit? before they received the Holy Spirit? I, I believe so. Had, had, they, had they been saved by the Spirit without even understanding there was a Holy Spirit? I believe they were. Because you can't be saved. You can't confess Jesus as Lord. You can't come in to relationship with Jesus without the Holy Spirit. But what they didn't know was who the Holy Spirit really was and what the Holy Spirit could really do in their lives. They needed taught that. And then they came into a fuller revelation and understanding and experience of the person of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And my observation of many believers in Northern Ireland is that many of us know the Holy Spirit in a positional type of way. We know who we are in Christ because the Holy Spirit has shown us that. But we don't necessarily fully know the desire of the Holy Spirit to fill us with his love and power, to immerse us in it. All analogies when it comes to these things are kind of limited and restricted. But one of the ones that I think is helpful is sometimes we talk about like a glass that's got water in it. It's like a lot of people that they've got the Holy Spirit in them because they've asked Jesus into their life. But when we're immersed in the Holy Spirit, it's not so much just the waters in the glass, but if you can imagine a glass in a basin of water and the water pouring into the glass and the glass overflowing with water. So it's not so much just that the Holy Spirit's in you, but that you are in the Holy Spirit. You are immersed in Him. You're walking in the fullness of His love and His power. Often we don't know we don't know that the Holy Spirit wants to be wants to give us power and love because that's who He is. He's not a spirit of fear. And so, even if as I'm talking about this today, I, I am conscious of the fact, even as I'm talking about this, some of you are feeling almost across your chest a sense of fear, a sense of what if I lose control? That's not God. It's either it's either the work of the enemy, or it's just our, it's just our own desire to be in control. Because the Spirit of God is not a spirit of fear, but of power 
and of love. And so often we don't know that the Holy Spirit wants to take complete control of our lives. He wants to heal the trauma of our past. He wants to pour out his love into every part of our being. He wants to bring us into mature sonship and daughterhood. He doesn't want to leave us as orphans. He doesn't want to just give us a deposit of himself. He wants to pour himself out upon us. He wants to give us a boldness for ministry. Why sometimes are we too shy to talk about Jesus? Because the Holy Spirit isn't upon us in power and boldness to proclaim Jesus. He wants to move. Uh, he wants to, us to move in his gifts, which he bestows upon us for the equipping and mobilizing of the body of Christ. And he wants to satisfy that longing deep in our hearts and still leave us thirsty and hungry for more. And so when we lift that hunger before the Lord, he meets it. And so as I, I want to round this up in the next couple of minutes because I'd love to, love to spend the last five or ten minutes just praying for, for you this morning and just allowing the Holy Spirit to come. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit in an objective, positional type of way, if that's the way to put it, which we need. Sometimes you kind of just need to look at your birth certificate and remind yourself who you are. And the Bible does that. Paul does that with the early church a lot. This is who you are in Christ. And so he uses language that's quite factual, if you like, like still needs to be received in faith. But he talks about it. But he also talks about the Holy Spirit in a, in a more subjective kind of way. He talks about the Holy Spirit being poured out in your life. And so here's how I think about it sometimes. Sometimes I'll be on the car with Rachel and maybe phone my dad. And Rachel will be like, you aren't really talking about anything. And because the conversation's a bit like, all right, how's it going, dad? Not so bad. How are you, son? Not too bad. Um, how's it going today? Hi. Rightly. What about you? Hi. Just good, hi. And she's sitting, uh, you know, in the hands free. She's sitting in the pasture seat going, And I'm just quite, it's fine. Just, you know. And then maybe die. That's it, you know. And she's like, what was that about? And I'm like, well, you phone your mom and just like talk for half an hour about nothing. So like, it's no real different anyway. And, and then I'll say to her, you know, she'll say, what was that about? And, and the thing about it is when I think about what it's really about, see, I know my dad is my dad because I've got a birth certificate to prove it. Because we've got such a good relationship with him, we're really blessed with that. And some days I just need to know it. So sometimes I phone him just to hear the sound of his voice because I get the felt experience of being his son. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit comes into our life not just to go, here in 1969, I, you know, you give your life to the Lord, you've got your ticket to heaven, that's it. The Holy Spirit is the lived reality every single day of the love of the Father and the Son shed abroad in your life to heal every part of your being that's broken and that's wounded. And he's also the one that wants to pour into your life the power of the risen Christ to be about the work of Jesus. And so what I would like to say to you is the Holy Spirit, this has ended up like a hashtag in the middle here, all one word, but the Holy Spirit is invisible, but he's not intangible. He's not intangible. In other words, you can feel his effects in your life. And, and once, you, once you get that transition, everything, everything changes. And you see, that can sound a bit weird, this, but it's not. 
Like, think about how many ways your life works about with things that are invisible, but they really affect your life. Like, practical things, think about the internet. Like, try, 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 try and exist without that today. You can't see it, but you know what affects your life. But then think about things that are a bit more deep and spiritual. Think about falling in love. How do you describe that? How do you see that? But you know what? You, you know what? It's a bit like the wind, Jesus said, isn't it? You, you don't know where it blows from or where it blows to, but you know its effects upon you. And once you make that transition, once you start to live in the spirit, it's actually the most natural thing in the world. You don't have to kind of strive to... to and so you don't have to strive in religion. You receive the Holy Spirit. And so, so what, I, what I want to say is, what I'm really emphasizing here is to go back to this verse, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The rendering, I think Phil said this last week, is to go on being filled with the Spirit. And so it's the responsibility of the believer to walk in the Spirit by dying every day and receiving the Spirit. But at the same point, sometimes you just need to give yourself permission to have an encounter. Sometimes you just have to phone Dad. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just need to give yourself a permission. Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about those moments in your life where you're flash-flooded with the Spirit. You're flash-flooded with love and power. And um, when I was 18, I'd been... <clears throat> I asked Jesus into my heart. It's my earliest memory in life. Can't remember much about it. But there was no chance I wanted to go to hell because I was hearing that every week. So that was the most natural thing to do. So Jesus came into my life. I started to understand what Jesus did in the cross for me. That was a lot. But when I got 18, there was a longing in my life for more. Hunger and desire for more. I needed cleansed. I needed redeemed. But I also wanted... I was just, there was like an insatiable hunger for something more than what I was living for. And when I cried out, what I realized what was happening to me, I was being filled with the Holy Spirit. Was the Holy Spirit in me beforehand? Yes, of course he was. But did he fill me and baptize me and immerse me at that point in my life? You gotta believe it, because I've never been the same since. But was that the only time he's filled me? No. <laughs> And particularly every time there's a new assignment and there's a new alignment, it's oh, come Holy Spirit, fill me, baptize me, anoint me afresh. And so I want to finish by asking you to praying for you because I want to pray for us as a church, but I'd also love to pray for any of you as individuals that would love to respond this morning. When it comes to being filled with the Spirit, I'd say here's three things. Search yourself and surrender. Check if there's every, any, any way that you're resisting the Spirit. Just offer up the fear or the control to Him. Search me and know me. Search and surrender. Then ask, which of you fathers, if your son asked you for a fish, would give him a snake? If he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then know where you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit? And finally, receive. Just receive. Just say, come Holy Spirit. The band are going to come. What I'll just love you to do. I'm going to take five or ten minutes just to worship and to receive the Holy Spirit this morning before we dismiss ourselves this morning, which we are right now. Why don't you, if you want to, close your eyes and just allow yourself to search. Search your heart. And if there's any part of your being that you feel like 
you need to offer up to the Lord as you search. Come, Holy Spirit, just work in this room right now. We thank you that you're here already. Just as we search our hearts, the Lord, I ask you just to move. I ask you, Holy Spirit, just to, in your tender, beautiful way, that you would just reveal or expose those things that even unconsciously or subconsciously have resisted you. or grieved you or quenched you. even get a sense that there's maybe one or two of us that there's not an awful lot that you don't agree with this morning that's been said but there's just a little voice in your head that's like <laughs> is this sound <laughs> and the Holy Spirit I just think wants you to give you the grace to trust him he's the one that wrote these scriptures He's the one that Jesus said was the promise of the Father. So maybe we'd all just, can we all just stand together quietly? Just wherever you are, right now, why don't you just in your own way, be under your breath or in whatever way you want to do it, why don't you just begin to ask? Sometimes we have not because we ask not. We just ask for the Holy Spirit. If you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. Let's just receive now. Maybe for the first time, you don't have to do this at all, but maybe for the first time, just even as a sign of receiving, you want to just turn the palms of your hand around in a posture of receiving. And, um, and just say, come, Holy Spirit. Just invite you into this space, Lord. 
Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you love to pour yourself out upon your sons and daughters of God. And just ask in this moment now, in this place, that you would pour yourself out upon us. So, Holy Spirit, it comes upon all of us in different ways because we've all got different personalities and he respects that. But he also wants to take us to places where we've never been before. So, Lord, I just pray, God, upon this uh, family of God, and particularly as we get ready to transition again, or we want to go where you're going, we, we want to go with your presence and endued with power from your presence, O oh God. And just ask in this room, Lord, right now, that you would move now. Come, Holy Spirit. Just increase the sense of your presence, even in this room, Lord. <laughs> 